Thank you, Lord, for your word. I uh, had a little trouble on this passage. Uh, I thought I knew exactly what I wanted to preach about on this passage. I, for the moment, knew I knew what passage it was. I knew where I was going with it. And now I don't. Um, all the way here, I've had a pit in my stomach over what I should be saying on this. So let's just read line by line and see what the Holy Spirit has to say about it. And when Jesus passed over again by Shep, uh, in a previous sermon I talked about this, that the ship is like us, right? We're the vessels for the Lord. And he's using the vessels to preach the gospel, which represents us. So I, I love the theme. It keeps coming up throughout all of Mark that we are his vessels and he's using us to preach the word of God as witnesses for him, right? He's inside the ship and proclaiming the word, proclaiming the gospel. So I've got to bring it up again because I love it. And uh, then we get this situation where the Jairus, who's a leader of the synagogue, comes to him and prays to him. That's what he's doing. It's actually, he uses the word pray. He, he is praying to him, save my daughter. And what I find really interesting in this is that he says that he fell at his feet. He's humbled before Jesus. This is how we should come before the Lord, right? Humbled in our heart, asking the Lord for things. He tells us to ask. If you have not asked, right? He promises to give to those who ask. What he doesn't promise is to give exactly what you ask. Because he knows better. And we're going to see that here too. So Jairus, who's the leader of the synagogue, so very much a Jew, is humbled and what he says is, he says, uh, come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Do you hear the conviction in there? He's determined that she shall live if only Jesus was to lay hands on her to heal her. That's a cool thing, isn't it? The, he's going there with confidence or, to know that if Jesus will answer his prayer, she'll be healed, right? made whole. So Jesus is walking towards the house. He agrees to come. He's walking towards the house, and he's thronged by masses. And then we have a certain woman. We don't know how old she is, but she's older than the little girl, Okay in so much that for 12 years she's had the issue of blood. And the terminology we're using in here leads me to think it's probably menstrual. It connects back to Leviticus, talking about the fountain of her blood. That's actually talked about in Leviticus. It's probably that something's going wrong with her, like endometrial system or whatever, and it's continuing and should be stopping. And it's actually getting worse. And a woman in Leviticus who had an issue of blood, was unclean seven days until she was done, and then uh, anything she sat on, lied on, had to be cleaned. And this woman is continuing to have this issue, which means she is unclean. 
and she touches Jesus. Now, anyone who was to touch anything that she sat on or lied on or her would be unclean until even, right? So she, reads, she goes through a crowd, probably bumping into people all the way through, and then touches Jesus' garments. So you think, wow, she's breaking a lot of... She's breaking the law here, <laughs> trying to reach out. But she's determined, too, to reach out and touch Jesus' garment in the hope that if she just touches his garment, that she'll be healed. Just touches his garment. And virtue comes out of him, says. He knows that he sees that, or feels that virtues come out of him. And there's another time, I can't remember the passage because my printer wouldn't print and my notes didn't come out. There's another passage where Jesus said virtue came out of him and he healed the whole crowd of people. So this twice with this kind of idea of virtue coming out for healing. And so she notices in her that the blood stopped. It's over. She's, she is made whole. Okay. How long was it for? It was 12 years. How old was the little girl? So when the little girl was born, same year, who knows, maybe the same moment. I mean, God knows, I don't know. But the same year, this girl's born. That's divine, isn't it? God has placed these two ladies in there for this moment, right? 12 years the woman's issuing blood, 12-year-old girl was born so that they both culminate at the same time. That's interesting, isn't it? What does 12 represent in the scriptures? Does anybody know? It's Gabriel and? Say completion, right? The, the completion, why the completion? Because they had to have another apostle, was ordained that there would be a, a 12th apostle, right? When Judas was um, committed suicide and died, they had to fulfill that role again, so they filled that role. Okay, so that has completeness to it. But it also represents Israel, right? Remember Joseph? He's dreaming, there's 12, there's 12. He's one of 12 brothers. There's 12 tribes, there's 12 all through there. There's 12 loaves of bread. There's 12 stones in the Jordan. There's 12, there's 12, there's 12. There's so many 12s. Actually, it's 187 times that the word 12 comes up in the King James Bible. 187 times. So there's a lot of 12s throughout the whole scriptures. And, and then the church is also signified by 12, is it not? How many apostles? There were 12. And you remember in Revelation 4, there's a picture of 24 elders. You think you got representation from 12 from Israel and 12 from the church. That's pretty neat, isn't it? All right. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about, let's call her an old lady. She's a certain woman, but she's older than the little girl. So you got an older one, and you got a younger one. Who's the younger one? Church. And we know that the church is talked about when Jesus is coming again, he's going to raise the church up, right? It says that those who are asleep... And uh, um, that first Thessalonians, let's just read it instead of me trying to paraphrase it and muddle it all up. 
So it says, for if, it's First Thessalonians 4, 14, and we'll continue on to the end of the chapter. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Remember they said, she's dead. What did he say? She's asleep. Isn't that interesting? And then he says, Talithakumi, damsel, I say, arise. Do you see the picture of that? See, the, the little girl is the church. And when was there a transition? You know, Israel, she's unclean. You see through the, all the Old Testament, the, all the prophets are talking about, not all of them, but a lot, many of them are talking about Israel's state. And they're unclean. They've committed adultery against the Lord. They've gone off in idolatry to idols. Right? We still see this Babylonian Persian muddle up after they go back to after they go back home. Remember they were in Babylon, then Babylon got taken over by Persia, and then Cyrus says, okay, you guys can go home now, and we see it in Ezra and Nehemiah. But there's still there's still this uh, stuff. Not all of Israel, there's there's a good goodly scribe Ezra. And Nehemiah, and, and, and many of them are still true followers of God, but then most of them still hang on to what they learned in Babylon. Today it's called Kabbalism. Has anybody heard of Jewish Kabbalism before? And Jewish Kabbalism essentially takes Eastern mysticism, which they learned in Persia, and marries it together with Jewish ideas. So far that they go and say, there's two fires. There's the black fire, which is the ink on the page, and there's the white fire, which is the page itself. And there's secret knowledge in the white of the page. Is, that what the, is the Bible all about secrets? No, Jesus is about revealing himself. Right? He's all about revealing the mysteries of the Old Testament, the secrets of the Old Testament. And Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery and this continuous theme of, to the point where there's a whole book called Revelation to Reveal. Revelation of Jesus Christ is the full title. So these God's about revealing things. Jesus is about revealing. Um, he even calls us the salt and the light. We're supposed to be witnesses to show, right? I've got on the sidetrack, but going back, this... Older woman, to me, seems to represent Israel in an unclean state. But isn't it true that there are promises for the restoration of Israel? Isn't it? Romans 11. Verse 25 says, For I would not, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Right? Here's a, I don't want you to be ignorant of a mystery here, right? Revealing. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. So this is Israel. Right now. One eye covered. Okay? Why? Because they only have half the Bible. We have two eyes. We have Old Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament 
uh, is a lot of imagery and history and all this uh, law and, and information prophetically, which we don't understand. Daniel writes all this prophecy and he's told to seal his book. It's sealed. John, when he writes Revelation, is told not to seal the book. Do you see the difference? See, until you have the New Testament, you don't have that full understanding of God's plan, right? And Israel's stuck only seeing with one eye. Blindness in part has come. It says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so shall all Israel be saved. Okay, there's your promise, right? As it is written, there shall come out of Sion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, the old woman, or the certain woman, maybe I'm aging her too much, she was made whole. Right? She was fixed. There wasn't a patch put on her. Right? She was made whole. Remember the Old Testament... All the blood of goats, what does it do? It covers sin. That's a band-aid. That's all it does is it covers sin. What does Jesus' blood do? Washes it away, makes it white. So she's made whole by Jesus. All right, we continue on in Mark, and Jesus goes into the house. He takes with him Peter, James, and John. Same trio that he brings up on the mount to show him his transfiguration. And the mom and dad are allowed to be there. Everybody else he kicks out. And he goes in, and I should back up. Remember they said she's dead. Everybody's wailing and crying, and it's horrible on the outside. And he says, no, she's not. She's asleep. You know, I think about the birth pains, which I think we're starting to see right now, right? We're talking about the, um, oh, the term has slipped my mind. Somebody can help me with that. I said birth pains, the beginning of sorrows, as the scripture says. Jesus talked about this is the beginning of sorrows. And he says, the love of many will wax cold because iniquity will bound. Or iniquity shall bound because love of many waxes cold. You know, you see this. Yes, they're wailing. This is tumult on the outside and then you've got on the inside the church you know there's a protection almost there right she's inside he goes inside and he says he puts his hand on her hand he holds her hand okay now this isn't quite the picture of laying on of hands so Jairus said if you lay hands on her she'll be healed well he grabs her by the hand it's not quite the same is it and he says, with his word, Talakahumi, he speaks to her in a language they don't understand. Did you catch that? So by interpretation, it says we know that it meant damsel, I say, arise. So to, to the Jew, modern languages are foreign, Right? So today, I mean, we're, we hear English. Other people are going to hear their own language. I uh, think we're going to hear 
the Lord say come, we will understand what it means, right? Okay, but those around, they don't. So I see a picture of Jesus calling his church up in a time where it's almost dead. Do you see what I mean? It's in a time where church, merch, you know, we don't need that. Marriage, hmm, we just cohabitate in a world where wokeness is at the forefront and, 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 and church is like, really? That's where you, you do? And churches bring it all in. A church is, it's good for sinners to come into church because otherwise there would be empty seats, okay? So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's celebrated in churches. The sin today is celebrated in so many churches. It's death. But even you see the picture of seven churches in Revelation and when Jesus is talking to them, there's not a lot of good things being said. There's very few that are being said good about, right? So there's a little life there. Do you see it? She's asleep. There's a little, she's like in a coma. There's a little life still there. And then Jesus calls it up. I think it's also another picture of martyrdom. In Revelation, 11, in, uh, Revelation 13, uh, we're told that the, the Antichrist, the beast, will overcome the saints. And you see a picture actually in Revelation 6 where there's these martyrs underneath the throne and they're calling out, Lord, when will you get avenge, avenge our deaths? Right? This picture of the martyrs calling out to the Lord, when will you avenge us? And he says, a little bit, a little bit longer. Okay, and then we hear the term, and this is the patience of the saints. When do we hear that? Comes up right before the harvest. And Revelation 14 is a harvest. And this one, like the Son of Man, comes with a sickle and he harvests. What a beautiful picture, right? We see Jesus talking about the harvest in Mark 4. We see him talking about it in uh, Matthew 13 and he expounds on that. He talks about the tares and the wheat. And the tares are being pulled out with the wheat and cast. They're bundled up for the fire and the wheat is kept for himself and, and it's taken up, right? And it's the angels that are out there they're the ones reaping in the harvest. It's exactly the same picture you see in Revelation 14 of the harvest being reaped. So, maybe I'm not 100% on the analogy between the women. But I can tell you this. Jesus is going to come and he is going to say, arise. And we are the church. And we need to be listening a really cool analogy came to me this week. It was this week. I like guns. You all probably know that, right? Teach firearm safety, teach hunter safety. And if you look through a scope, what do you look at? Look through and aim with in a scope. Crosshairs. The cross is what we use to aim with. And it will point us to heaven and to Jesus' return. So if you look at the cross, it's like setting your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 
So keep focus on the cross and look towards the heaven. And when Jesus comes and says, damsel, arise. Right? And that damsel, that woman, they're the bride. Together, they're the bride. And there's going to be a wedding and a banquet. And I can tell you that I'm going to be there. And I hope that each one of you is there. And I hope that our neighbors are there and the people that we work with. Last little note. Jesus performed the miracle sort of by default because the woman reached out and grabbed him. But performed the default or the, the miracle in the crowd. And they all knew it. They all saw it. But what's interesting to me is that he told everybody to be quiet and not tell anybody else about the little girl. Keep it on the down low. Now, I think the event of Christ's return is going to be everybody knows. But I think the point here is that who are you going to tell? Who are you going to witness to now? When the church is gone, what's coming next? According to the Revelation 14, it's the wine pass of the wrath of God. So I thought it was interesting. Why would he say don't tell anybody of that miracle of the little girl rising from death? Well, who's to tell? In other words, you have the opportunity right now, after church, to invite your neighbor to have a, a, a meal with you or to go to the lake or something and pray that God gives you the, the words and the opportunity to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they too will hear the words arise. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you. We trust you. We ask that you would give us the right words to say any time and every time that we are with unbelievers. And when we fear telling somebody about Jesus, that you would remind us of the consequences they face, the future that they have, and that they're precious to you. So it's up to us, Lord, to be witnesses of you and to share the glory of the gospel. Help us to love them, to have compassion, and to walk in faith. Faith believing that you will answer. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And before we get into another song, um, there is a prayer request from Tina for parents Shirley and Lester, I think, who lost a son uh, because of uh, being shot by some police. I don't know, this person's name was Sean, and I don't know how the circumstances happened, but how tragic that it happened. So we'll just lift that up to the Lord. The Lord, uh, this is Shirley and Lester, 
must just be horrified to have lost a son. So I asked in Jesus' name that you would give them comfort. I, I don't know them, but if they don't know you, then I pray, Lord, that this would be just what they need to call upon the name of Jesus and that your Holy Spirit would comfort them and that they would be witnesses of your faithfulness, of your love and your saving grace. And I, I imagine for a police officer having shot someone, that is a hard thing. So I pray for the police officer too, Lord, that his or her salvation also would be sure that they would call upon the name of Jesus Christ. They would trust in you. Bless this church, Lord. Thank you that we are here. Thank you that we are able to proclaim your name aloud. In Jesus' name, amen.